Hey, whether you know it or not, there are a whole host of things that either stimulate or obstruct, get in the way of your productivity and your creativity. Things like where you work, the things and the people that you can see in your vision, the stuff that you use to create or to do the work that you need to do, the sounds, all of this information, the stuff that we involuntarily consume, every aspect of our environments and our daily habits, they impact our performance as a creator or an entrepreneur. So in today's episode, I want you to have more control over the quality of this work and how you get started, what environment you work in. And in order to do that, you need to do this consciously. These, you know, the most proficient creators, the most proficient and productive creators, they take time and consciously design the systems and the environments and the habits that uh, cultivate their success. Now, I wrote at length about this in Creative Calling, but today's show I bring in a guest that is author, educator, and he's a really popular podcaster too, named Srini Rao. Now, in this episode, Srini's going to show you how to eliminate those things that are draining your creativity and your mental energy, and he'll help you create these surroundings that I'm talking about to develop the practices and activate the unconscious mind in order to be the most effective that it, and therefore you, can be. Um couple of different lessons. Now, this is uh, derivative from a class that we did at Creative Live with Srini that was very well-received and super powerful. We're dropping this here in the new year of 2021. And I find that at the beginning of the year, so many of us are reworking our systems and it's a great time to look or relook at old habits or things we want to change. And so the initial lesson is just an introduction and overview uh, in greater depth that I'm reviewing it here. The second thing we talk about is eliminating the concept of willpower, having to decide to do X or Y versus it just being automatic and those systems being in place around you. Uh, Third, we talk about physical space, like literally what you're looking at, what it feels like, what the sounds, et cetera. Uh, the, The next one is specifically about sound because Like right now I have headphones on and as soon as I'm done recording this, I'm going to go over here and do my next task. And you know what? I'm going to have some noise canceling headphones on to do that too. So whether it's music or you want to cancel out the noise, that's a really important um, aspect of it. Uh, And then the last section that we talk about is the nine environments that make up your life and how to master or and or craft those to your liking. All right, so if you're by chance new to Srini, uh, his work's been featured in Forbes, the New York Times, uh, Business Insider, and he's the author of An Audience of One, Reclaiming Creativity for Its Own Sake. That was a show that we had on, or that was rather a podcast that we launched on this show, gosh, probably two years ago now. Very popular, um, this idea of creating for yourself, creating for an audience of one. Um, You might want to go check that out after this episode. And he has also self-published a book that originally put his him on my radar called The Art of Being Unmistakable, which was a bestseller. So, uh, and just a little side note here, if you are inspired by what you hear in the show, there is a class on Creative Live where he walks through 
all kinds of, you know, how to set up technical devices to get rid of distractions, uh, how to manage attention so you can encourage flow and peak performance. You've heard me talk a lot about flow. Also folks like Stephen Kotler, uh, how to create habits and how to choose the right collaborators. It's a, it's a very in-depth class that I would recommend. But for now, I'm going to get out of the way and let you enjoy this valuable info from Srini Rao. Hey, before we get into the show, I got an announcement. My book, Creative Calling, is more than one year old right now, and it is still crushing. Thanks so much to the support from you, this community. And so I got two two um, asks. One, if you do not have the book, my goodness, I would invite you to pick it up. Again, it's called Creative Calling, available anywhere books are sold. I put my entire life, all my experience around creativity, entrepreneurship, um, about pursuing your dreams, getting unstuck to do the things that we are put on this planet to do. So if you don't have a copy, please pick it up. And part two, if you do have a copy and right now you're going, yeah, yeah, I, I got it when you first wrote it, whatever, one year ago. Well, if you are in that camp, first of all, thank you. Second of all, it would mean a ton as in the world to me if you left a review at Amazon or wherever you picked up the book. I'm currently sitting at several hundred five-star reviews, which is really helpful for getting the message of the book. In fact, it's the message is my whole life. Creative Live, this podcast, um, the book, it is all sewn together and it would really, really help spread the word, the ideas, the vision that we have for this one precious life and this cool uh, position we find ourselves in being able to uh, not just feel like corks in the tide, but to create the life that we want for ourselves. So if that sounds like something you're into, I would love your support. And in the meantime, I'm going to get out of the way so you can get back to the show. But wanted to say thanks so much. Thank you all for being here. I am really excited to share uh, everything that I've learned with you. So I've spent the last 10 years using the internet to make things, to connect people, to share ideas, and to tell stories. I've produced more than 700 episodes of a podcast, written four books, and written hundreds of articles on the internet and worked on dozens of other creative projects, almost all of which has been done in roughly two hours a day. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is how to design systems that enable you to dramatically increase your creative output, how to develop any new habit that you want, and how to develop a lifelong creative practice that you can apply to virtually anything you want to do creatively. So let's begin with this idea of willpower. So one of the things that challenges most people when it comes to making any sort of behavioral change is the fact that they depend on willpower. And willpower is something that you have in limited supply. So the average human being makes hundreds of decisions every single day. What to eat, what to wear, what links to click on, what emails to respond to, what route to take to work, and what happens is that each one of these decisions that you make ends up depleting your willpower. So let's say that you have a willpower budget of 10 units when you start the day. Well, every decision you make costs you a unit. So let's say that you wake up in the morning, you respond to an email, you click on a link, you decide what to wear, you decide what to eat, and you decide who you're going to respond to. You've already started the day and out of the gate, you're hosed because you took 10 units and you've already wasted five units on things that are fairly low value and you no longer have much left to spend on what is your most meaningful work. 
And the result of that is what is known as decision fatigue, uh, which makes it more and more difficult to make decisions. It makes it more and more difficult to make high quality decisions. So there's a really interesting story in Roy Baumeister's book, uh, Willpower, where he wrote the story of the New York governor, Elliot Spitzer. Now, Elliot Spitzer built his career campaigning against prostitution. And do you know how his career ended? He got caught with a prostitute. And when you think about that, you think it seems absolutely ridiculous that somebody who built their entire career campaigning against something would have that very thing be the undoing of his career. But Roy Baumeister made a really good point. He said, if you think about it, somebody like Elliot Spitzer or somebody who is in a high political office is literally making hundreds of decisions all day, every single day. So by the time you get to the end of the day, the quality of your decision making actually starts to diminish significantly, which if you've ever been to the grocery store at the end of the day, uh, you might have experienced this, where you've been at work all day, you've made all these important decisions, and then you fill your grocery cart full of all sorts of junk food and things you never had any intention of buying or never had any intention of eating, you've effectively experienced one of the byproducts of decision fatigue. So how do we actually deal with decision fatigue? Well, the key to dealing with decision fatigue is that you wanna basically eliminate and automate any of the decisions that you would typically make in the first part of your day. And really when it comes down to it, if you wanna change your behavior, you have to actually start by changing your environment and automating many of those decisions like what to eat, what to wear, what you're going to do in the first part of the morning really is a way of designing an environment and eliminating decisions that allow you to preserve willpower so that you now have your willpower for your highest value work and you're able to preserve your cognitive bandwidth. The next piece that we talk about really is your physical space. So as I said before, um, the setup of your physical space can have a profound impact on your behavior and your creativity. And by deliberately designing the space that you're actually working in, you start to make the behavior automatic. So the author Stuart Wilde said that messy surroundings and an untidy life reflect a weakened metaphysical and psychological state. And order helps you feel more confident. So if you've ever gotten in your car after a car wash, how do you feel? A thousand times better, right? Or if you've ever walked into your house after it's been cleaned, it's a totally different experience than what the house is like when it's a complete mess or what your car is like when it's a complete mess. So the things that are included in your physical space are the desk that you work at, the chair that you use, the lighting, uh, the equipment, laptops, phones, everything that we use. All of these things make up our physical space and our physical space not only impacts our behavior, it has an impact on our energy and how we feel. So, the way that we use physical space to automate behavior and lead to behavior that is much more desirable is that we create what is effectively our best space. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about how do you create the best physical space that you could possibly work in, one that inspires you, one that makes you more productive, and one that makes you more creative. So the first thing you wanna do is you wanna get rid of anything that you don't love. And what most people don't realize is that every physical object in your environment has emotions and memories associated with it. So think about the clothes that you're wearing right now or the shoes that you're wearing or whatever it is that you have in terms of jewelry or watches, whatever you have with you right now. Every one of those physical objects has some memory or emotion associated with it. And often we're completely unaware 
of the memories and emotions that are associated with the physical objects that are in our physical environment. So I'll, I'll tell you a couple of different stories. So one of the first things I did after a breakup was I literally got rid of everything from that relationship. I didn't burn it, but I realized that as long as these things were in my physical space, it would be a perpetual reminder of something that was a really painful experience. And the way to change how I was feeling in that space was to get rid of those things. Uh, another really crazy story. So after I started to understand uh, this whole idea of creating physical spaces that inspire you, I ended up reading a book that many of you have probably heard of. It's called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. And I realized that that book was all about designing environments that actually fuel creativity and inspire you. So the first place I started with that idea of the life-changing magic of tidying up was my bookshelf. I went to my bookshelf and I looked at all the books and I looked at the ones that didn't inspire me, most of which were about social media marketing and online marketing because my work had changed a lot since I had bought those books and it was no longer a reflection of who I was and who I wanted to be. So I got rid of all those books, I put them in a box and I donated them to the library. Most of the books that were left on my shelf, the top shelf, were all published by Penguin. Two weeks later I got an email from an editor at Penguin asking me if I wanted to write a book with them. After that I was sold on the virtues of having a very deliberately designed physical space. So, the thing is that you want the environment to be something that you actually love being in, so why not fill it with things that you absolutely love? The other thing that you should do is you should clear out as much clutter from your space as possible because clutter makes it really difficult to focus. When you have clutter on your desk or in your physical space, you have all these different things that are competing for your attention which end up making it difficult to focus on the thing that matters most, which is whatever it is you're doing. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that if you, if you look at very prolific writers or prolific creators, their spaces tend to be really tidy and very deliberate in terms of how they're set up. There are very rare exceptions to this. Uh, I was told once that Steve Jobs worked in a really messy space, but the funny thing is, the, the irony of that is that if you look at Apple products, they're the complete opposite of messy. Uh, so when you clear out a lot of clutter, you end up being able to focus a lot more easily. It's, it's amazing how much of an impact clutter has uh, on your ability to concentrate just because you have all these different things competing for your attention. Uh, another idea is something that's known as environment math. Now this is not a, a set in stone rule, but the idea basically is for every single thing that you bring into your environment, you should take something out because so often we accumulate possessions that we don't use. Uh, I wanted to have a picture of this, but I don't. My parents have a garage, and they've lived in the same house for 20 years, and every couple of years, my mom gets on my dad's case and asks him to clean the garage. And we've done all sorts of things to clean this garage. We brought in shelves from Costco to shelve everything and put everything on the shelves. And I remember asking my dad one day, I said, do you even know what any of this is? And he said, no. I said, then why do you have it? Uh, and that, that really, they, they really should take this lesson of environment math to heart because when you're able to take one thing out for every single thing you bring in, you avoid cluttering your space with things that you don't need. Finally, visual reminders. Now visual reminders are really powerful in a lot of different ways. They can include motivational posters. Uh, you may have heard of this idea of the don't break the chain calendar if you have a particular habit that you want to adopt. Uh, when you have a visual reminder, like the habit, uh, don't break the chain calendar, you're basically seeing your progress every single day. So as a result, you're going to be motivated to keep coming back. Uh, you can create your own shrine if you would like with goddesses of religions that are not your own. Uh, if you've ever scrolled through the Instagram feed of some new age and spiritual teachers, 
you'll often see this, crystals, candles, and uh, really bizarre shrines. But ultimately what matters here is that this is a space you've created for your own efforts that really sings to you. It's not a coincidence that the Creative Live offices have tons of inspiring artwork around here. The idea is that the environment fuels your creativity. So one of the things that I've actually done uh, at my home is I had a friend who, I had told her once, I said, you know, if I had a million dollar recording studio, I would hang up framed prints of all of the people that I've interviewed that I look up to. And she said, honey, you don't need a million dollar recording studio for that. You need some IKEA picture frames and somebody to print the pictures. And I thought, well, that's a good point. So I actually ordered IKEA picture frames and I have pictures on the wall of a lot of the people that I've interviewed because we have this really beautiful artwork. And so I've created this space that really inspires me. And I think that Marie Kondo really summed it up well. She's the space that we live in should be reflective of the person that we were becoming, not the person we were in our past. And so often, our physical spaces, because of the objects we have in them and all of the, the visual reminders we have in them, are reflective of who we once were, not who we were becoming. Trini, we have a question from the internet, if you're, awesome. if you're ready for that. Absolutely. Um, so this question is from Angie Powers. And she says, excited to be here. Um, and I was actually thinking the same question myself because I have the same experience. Um, how does this apply when you share space with people who have a hard time getting rid of things? That is a really, really good question. Uh, so I, I think the, the thing here is that you really have to say, okay, you know what, I, if you have a space that you're sharing with people who have a hard time getting rid of things, or if you have a space that you're sharing, period, you have to basically create an area that basically has a boundary around it. It could be your kitchen table. It could literally be something as simple as, okay, this half of the kitchen table is mine. It's about making whatever adjustments you can to make that space possible. Because I share an apartment with somebody. So I, there are parts of my space that I don't have complete control over. So it's really about looking at what parts of your space do you have complete control over. Because there are small parts of everybody's space that they have control over. And that might mean going to another space, if that's the case. Cool. And ready for one more? Uh, that was from Angie Powers, by the way. Great. Uh, Thank and you, we Angie. have another question from um, Gun Gundars. Uh, who says, uh, really quickly, can you give us some of your best decluttering tips? Absolutely. So one of my favorite tools for decluttering is something that uh, the container store sells. It's called the Perch Herbio. And I remember looking at this thing and fell in love with it. So the Perch Herbio is uh, basically what it is. It's a wall-mounted plate that you put on your wall, and it has cup holders and uh, pen holders, and you can basically, they mount onto the plate magnetically. So now all these things that would normally be on your desk are in a place that's completely hidden. And you could mount it to the wall in front of your desk. So that's one of my first sort of pieces of decluttering advice. The other thing that I recommend people do is to look at your space at the end of every single day. Uh, because this isn't something that you're going to do once. Uh, it's something that you want to make a daily habit. You want to be looking at your physical space, the space in which you create, and you want to actually optimize it and set it up every single day for what you want your day to be like the very next day. So that's a big one. Uh, I think that, again, we go back to environment math. I think you should get rid of something for everything that you bring in. But ultimately, the easiest way to keep your space from being cluttered is simply not to acquire a lot of stuff, uh, which a couple of months ago, a couple of years ago, I was staying at my mom's house for a, a couple of months, and she was getting irritated that the closet wasn't as clean as I she would like it to be. 
And I said, give me a second. And so I went upstairs, and I got a garbage bag, and I threw half the clothes in the garbage bag. And she said, that's not what I was talking about. I was expecting you to fold the clothes and wear them. I said, well, look, I don't wear any of these anyways, and now you have nothing to clean. So if you limit the number of things that you have, it becomes much easier to maintain a very clean and clear physical space. So I have, I think, a total of five black t-shirts, a couple of dress shirts, one of which I'm wearing now, and two pairs of jeans. That makes it super easy to keep your physical space clean. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Once I had that, that, that experience with the Penguin book, I, I was sold for good on the value of this. And it, I've made it a point to take the same approach to my car, to my house. Don't get me wrong. My spaces get messy just like everybody else's. I'm not immune to many of the things that I'm uh, saying that nobody should do. I still make a lot of these mistakes. There are days when I wake up and I think, oh, wow, this is a real mess. But I've noticed that without a doubt, if I make it a point to wipe down my desk before, put out everything I need the night before, and really set up the environment, it makes everything a thousand times better. You just think clearer. You just wake up in a very different state when your physical space is set up the way you want it to be, when it's inspiring, when it's clean, when it's clear. And I think I've, I've seen this pattern consistently across so many people. So, uh, I'd be curious, actually, to hear about some of your physical spaces. Yeah. I'll be happy to share, because I'm very guilty of having a lot of clutter around me. So that's one of the things that I'm really trying to focus on now as I branch out into more creative work and social media and you know, working with my clients and creating more creative ideas for them and their wellness solutions. Mm -hmm. And I found that recently I feel more flustered because a really busy time in my life right now, growing the business, competing in bodybuilding, which takes a lot of time. So I feel like this is just what I needed to hear right now is I know so much of my block has just been the mental frustration of seeing chaos around me. Mm -hmm. So, so I'll actually <laughs> share one other story with you from uh, the book. There's a woman named Courtney Carver who uh, runs a blog called Be More With Less, and she's in the minimalism documentary, which you can find on Netflix. And uh, she got diagnosed uh, with, I think, if I remember, I was MS uh, at some point. And as a part of dealing with her MS diagnosis, she and her husband decided to basically declutter their house and become complete minimalists. And since that happened, she has had no relapses. The symptoms were drastically alleviated. I think that when you have physical clutter, it can tend to cause a lot of mental anxiety. It can tend to cause a lot of stress. Whereas when you have a space that's very neat and tidy, it reduces your stress and anxiety dramatically. Yeah, I'm a clutter magnet. And I have been since I was a little girl. And um, four years ago, uh, I'm, I'm an artist and my studio was so cluttered, I thought I would never be able to tackle it. And I finally realized that what I needed was uh, community mm -hmm. support around it. So I, I created a course <laughs> to basically, I got paid to clutter bust my yeah. studio. And I called it the Great Clutter Bust. And I ran it like four times. And I finally managed to completely declutter my studio. Well, completely, that's not entirely true. I'm, I'm it's just like peeling layers off an onion, mm -hmm. right? But um, got the downstairs of our home. Now it looks so great. And I'm still peeling layers off the onion of the studio because we have no garage or anything. So when we um, overhauled and uh, did a, a kitchen remodel, everything that had to be moved from the downstairs got stuck in the, the studio, became the garage. But anyway, um, what was so interesting to me is every time I ran that program of the Great Clutter Bust, the same the same words came out of people's mouths of, I feel so free, I can breathe again, 
I can think again, mm. and that's, you know, everybody, and I feel the same way. Every time I peel another layer off the onion, I feel that same sense of ability to think, ability to breathe, ability to create again. The more my space is um, freed of that clutter yeah. and, and orderly and tidy, it just, it opens up everything. And it's that, like what you said, it's that, that habit, which that's where I struggle, is st sticking with that habit of, of ordering everything again. Mm -hmm. That's where I, that I need to really get into. Well, I, I think you bring up a really good point about peeling an onion. Uh, one of the things that often happens, uh, not just in terms of physical space, and we'll talk a little bit about this in, in some of the other modules, but when we try to make any change, people often try to make really big sweeping changes all at once, and as a result, none of the changes stick. And if you, if you take this one section at a time, for example, you start with your desk, uh, which is the smallest possible space. In fact, that's what I would say is look at the, the smallest possible circle of, of control that you could actually go do this in, and then basically tackle one section at a time. So you start with your desk, you go to your bookshelf, you go to your kitchen, you go to your closet, and you could basically tackle one area of your physical space every single day, and by the end of the week, you've effectively peeled all the layers that Melissa was talking about. Let's move on to an environment that we know as your sound environment. So what do we mean by sound environment? Well, sound environment is basically what it sounds like, everything that you hear. And sound, it turns out, can be really, really powerful in terms of enabling us to concentrate more, to focus more, uh, particularly music. So Stephen Kotler and Jamie Wheel, who wrote a book called Stealing Fire, they actually found that when you're listening to music, there are brainwave changes that actually move you from this sort of beta waking state to a trance-like state, where if you listen to the same track over and over again, you start to get a lot of the things that kick you into what they call a flow state, from focus to flow, which we talked about, and which we'll talk about a little bit more in upcoming modules, but you start to feel the endorphins kick in, you feel your heart race, and you start to really get into a zone. So how do you actually do this, and how do you incorporate this into your creative practice? So the first thing I recommend is always use noise cancellation headphones uh, because at any given time, there are a number of auditory inputs that are competing for your attention, depending on where you're working. If you're at home and you have kids, there might be screaming kids in the background. There could be a TV on in the background. If it's a coffee shop, it's the constant buzz of other customers buying their coffee or wherever you're at. So noise cancellation headphones, really, really useful. One of the best investments I ever have made in my creative practice. And they don't have to be expensive headphones as long as they get the job done. <clears throat> the next thing I would say is that you want to listen to one track on repeat. Uh, <clears throat> this is actually really interesting. And it's something that I found out from talking to multiple authors, people like Stephen Kotler and Ryan Holiday, who have written dozens of books. And the reason that this works so well is because of the fact that you're listening to the same track, your attention is not being forced to shift in any way at all. It's just on repeat. So it drowns out everything else. Uh, and then the other thing I, I make sure that I do is either put your phone in do not disturb mode or turn off all the notifications. Because what you want to do basically is to eliminate every other sound that is competing for your attention other than whatever it is that you're listening to. Okay. So <clears throat> a couple of different rules that I use uh, to decide what the filters are for choosing your music. The kind of music that you're going to use is really dependent on the nature of the work that you're doing. So for example, if the work that you're doing requires verbal processing, if it's reading, if it's writing, uh, if it's anything that involves words, music with lyrics is going to be problematic because it's competing with, you know, for the same, 
it's the same type of input that's competing for your attention that you're trying to use to process that type of information. So I can't listen to music with lyrics when I write. Uh, funny enough, I can't even listen to classical music when I write because of the fact that I was a musician in high school. So when I hear classical music, I don't uh, hear classical music. I start to imagine what it would be like to play the part in a band. And basically, I start to see notes. And, and it completely distracts me. So I can't use classical music. So I use techno music without lyrics to do my writing. But if you're somebody who works with your hands and you do something that doesn't require verbal processing, that might be designing websites, for example. It could be taking photographs. It could be painting. It could be sculpting. Uh, I know a lot of people who are people who work with their hands. And part of the reason they listen to podcasts is because they can actually deal with information that is verbal because they're working with their hands. Uh, so that's basically a very simple filter for how you decide on what music to use and how you basically set up a sound environment. But I want to turn it over to you guys for questions and hear commentary on how you guys use sound, how sound interrupts you, and uh, also ask you know any question, answer any questions you have. Interesting. I usually listen to podcasts when I'm designing or writing, but when I'm painting, I actually go no lyrics, and I have a playlist called Painting Without Words because yeah. it just focuses me in. Because if I hear words, then I start painting the imagery that I'm hearing in the, yeah. the lyrics. Well, and th that's a perfect example like it, for, uh, of the fact that this is not set in stone. Like I said, you would think that as somebody who's a writer, I could listen to classical music, which yeah. doesn't have words, but I can't because of, of what I told you about. And that's a, another example of that. So it, it really, I think the key here is experimenting. And, and this is really the key with everything that we're talking about here. So none of it should be treated as gospel. All of it should be treated as guidance, treated as a compass, not a map. And what you should do is you should take ingredients that work for you and come up with your own recipes. So try different things. Some of what I've told you might not work for you, but you could modify it and you could change it. And that applies to literally everything that we're going to talk about today. Mark? I created a practice a few years ago of turning on. I really love the ocean. I live about 50, 60 miles away, but there's a Pandora station you can put that's ocean wave sounds. Mm -hmm. So I had a practice of listening to it for just five to 10 minutes first thing in the morning. And uh, what would happen almost half the time, it'd be 11 o'clock or something, and I'd start working, but I left the ocean sounds on. And it's just, it's a pretty cool, instead of going back and changing the channel of the music or something, just leave yeah. the ocean. I'm like, wow, this is really, it just feels different. It's really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's why ambient noise machines are popular. That's why you even have Pandora stations with something like ocean sounds. And ocean sounds basically, in many ways, can actually provide the same benefits as being in front of the ocean. So. Yeah. So I do it a little differently. So I, when I have something really intense to write or I have a lot of work, I put on dance music and I dance. That's like, amazing. I, like I dance around the room. I get as physical as I can. I really try and shake it all out. And then I can sit down and somehow it will sort of calm all of the things in mm -hmm. my brain that are moving around. So it's almost like I do the best I can to empty myself out. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about physical movement later, but I think, like I said, spending time in nature in a lot of ways uh, forces physical movement, and that's why it's so powerful. Yeah. Uh, I think that pretty much unanimously across the board, when I, I did the research for the, the book that I wrote recently, I kept finding correlations between people who are prolific artists and having some sort of physical practice, whether it be dancing, whether it be running, uh, whether it be skiing, whether it be snowboarding. Uh, unanimously across the board, there was some physical activity that was always correlated with. And then I have to have like practice. I need it silent when I'm writing. I realized. Yeah. Like the the music and the dancing has to happen before to get mm -hmm. myself started in the mood, and then I need total silence and no distractions. 
Yeah, again, you know, and that's a perfect example of a sound environment as well. In your sound environment, you need silence. Yeah. Uh, I use, uh, I need just everything drowned out, and the music kind of puts me in a zone. Uh, whereas if I have anything else, it will compete for my attention because I have a very short attention span. Do we have any questions from the online audience? Um, yes, we have one question from the online audience, uh, Srini. And it goes to, uh, very often, a lot of our students out there will actually keep Creative Live on in the background <laughs> while they're working. I know yeah. a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. Um, and they, they listen for keywords. Sure. They listen for things that pop up. I imagine that there's some people doing it with your class today. Yeah. So talk to me about like whether it's a good practice, a bad practice, or just something that if you're doing something sort of like, a lot of our photographer people will be processing photos. So yeah. it's like they're really just going through the motions and kinds of things. So let's that's talk a, a little bit about really that. That's a really great question. So I, I think that what it comes down to is how cognitively demanding is the thing that you're trying to work on. Um, and we'll be actually, Cal Newport will be here a little bit later to talk about how to deal with what he calls deep work. So if the work is incredibly demanding, then it's difficult if you have anything on in the background uh, like Creative Live, especially because of the fact that usually when you're listening to something like Creative Live, you're taking in a lot of information, information that requires a, a lot of uh, brain power and cognitive processing. Whereas if it's repetitive work like you were talking about, Jim, in terms of, of photo processing or you know, scheduling stuff on social media, then absolutely you could get away with it. I think it really just depends on the complexity of what you're trying to do. Obviously, if you had your brain surgeon operating on you, I don't think you'd want him listening to Creative Live in the background because you know, I don't want my brain surgeon to screw up because he's listening to me talking about what I'm doing right now. So it really depends on, on the complexity of the task. The more complex the task is, I think the more deliberate you have to be with this. But if it's stuff that's repetitive, like checking email, uh, I know that my friend Chris Bailey, apparently he does a lot of his maintenance work on Sundays, and what he does is he uses that time to catch up on all the podcasts that he wants to listen to. So, so we're going to wrap up this section with probably what is one of my favorite concepts and something that really had a profound impact on me called the nine environments that make up your life. Uh, because we've talked about all of these things in isolation, but what you're going to understand is how they all work together now. So this is the guy who turned me on to this concept. His name is Jim Bunch. Um, he's the founder of The Ultimate Game of Life, and this is what he had to say about environments. Every environment is connected. You can't change one environment and not have it change another. If you improve one environment, it will send a ripple effect through the other environments. If you improve your physical body as an environment, what happens to your self-image? It improves. Once your self-image improves, what happens to your networks? Your networks improve because you'll quit hanging out with the people that, that are bringing you down. What happens when your network improves? Well, your net worth is related to your network. In other words, your financial environment can start to improve because the quality of people you're hanging out with is better. Your self-confidence is up. Your strengths, gifts, and talents are up. Your physical health is up, so you have more energy to commit to your vision and mission and your passions. So all of these things are connected, and the vice versa is true. If you notice that you're on a downward spiral, if all of a sudden you're starting to eat unhealthy, maybe you're starting to watch TV that isn't empowering you, maybe you're starting to doubt your self-environment a little bit, maybe you're starting to notice that the people you're hanging out with aren't actually doing healthy things, they're not really growing and improving, what you're saying is, is that by default, I'm allowing the environments around me to bring me down. You're doing life by default. Really, really cool concept that had a profound impact on my life. 
probably one of the most life-changing things I ever learned in the 10 years of doing Unmistakable Creative, and I'm pretty sure this is one of our most popular episodes to date. Uh, some of you have probably heard this before uh, because I know you're listeners of ours. So uh, I want to show you a diagram that comes from Jim Bunch's company called uh, The Ultimate Game of Life. And these are basically what he calls the nine environments that make up your life. Uh, you know, your self-environment, your body, your spiritual, your relationships, your network, your financial, your physical, your nature, your body, and all of it combined makes up an environment called you. Now, we've been talking about this primarily in the context of creative work and being able to design systems for creativity, but this isn't just about creativity. It applies to virtually every area of your life. So what I want to encourage each one of you to do is to design environments that are conducive to the person that you want to become. So the car that you drive, the clothes that you wear, the information that you consume, the people that you surround yourself with, the food that you eat, all of it operates as one interdependent system. Every single thing affects the other. So you really want to get deliberate about how you're going to set up your environment. Uh, really funny story, I was with my, my business partner Brian one day, I was at a coffee shop, and I had just returned from a speaking engagement, and I was coming to him and I said, hey, this girl over there keeps looking at me. He said, that's because you're dressed like you're rich and successful. I said, well, I think I'm going to start dressing a little better even when I got to have coffee from now on. And it's amazing because the way you dress affects the way you feel. It's one of the fastest ways to change the way you feel. One of the temptations when we work at home or when we work at freelancers is to wake up and just hang around in our pajamas all day. I know because I do it sometimes. And I notice that if I take a shower and I get ready and I make a point to get dressed in the morning, the whole day is very different. I feel like I'm on cloud nine because I've made a deliberate choice to set my environment up in a way that is conducive to the person that I want to become. So I want to talk, uh, I, want, I actually want to turn this briefly over to you guys both for questions and I'd really like to hear from each of you about what kind of changes you anticipate making to your environments based on uh, everything we've talked about here. We'll start with you. Yeah, so I'm excited to get home and clean up my desk space. Uh, I used to work in a co-working space and had a desk there, but then found that I wasn't going just as my day is so erratic and it didn't really make sense to go and kind of tied to my kitchen meal prepping and going back and forth to the gym. So the desk space for me is my hub, but it's also like right near the front door and it's also where like all of, like we come through the door and just drop the stuff there. And so I've kind of been in this space where I've been like working on the couch and just not being able to get the deep work done that I need to because my desk has been just utter chaos. So that's step one for me. Cool. Mark? Um, I asked you how long you've been doing that practice because I've been doing it for probably, I don't know, at least five or six years, but it's an ebb and flow. Uh -huh. And I can think of, in my office, there's a row of tennis shoes. It's like, why do I need five pairs of tennis shoes or whatever? So I'm going to get rid of those. And then there's some piles on my desk. It can just, once you let one little thing there, and then you go, okay, there's already a little pile I can just add to it. So there's just two moves. I can just scoop that up and get rid of it. So the desk and the shoes is going to be the little. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to actually, my books. Mm -hmm. So I, I think what you said really hit home because I have a lot of books that I probably don't really need anymore and it, it actually takes up space for the ones that you buy that you don't read. Yeah. yeah right? Absolutely. You're like, oh, God, I've got to get to get, get to that and then I just let it go. Yeah. You too. Yeah, so I actually just went through this process of clearing out all these different spaces. So I started with my clothes. Mm -hmm. That was the 
easiest one to start with. I got rid of six bags, and that was the gateway to then going through every little space. I've just gone through all of my drawers as well, and uh, one of the biggest changes I made was actually a reaction to watching Queer Eye and seeing these transformations that people go through on that show and the different um, coaches that they have to go through that process and was looking at all the design spaces that mm. are created and I looked at my room and I compared it to the end of what's on the show and said that's it's not a match and I can make those changes and so I had I confess a ton of books lined up under a windowsill that were not in shelves and they were against a couch that was taking up a lot of space that I never used I essentially used the couch as shelf space um, so I got rid of the couch and I bought shelves and now all those books are in there and you're challenging me now to go through that next step of deciding which books to keep because I just kept all of them. They're yeah. beautiful and arranged very nicely, but I don't need all of them. So that's, I think, the next step that What I have take. you noticed uh, after making these changes in terms of your, the way you feel, in terms of everything else that's going on? I have a lot more energy. Um, I have, yeah, a lot more clarity and I feel more comfortable and confident. Um, probably the biggest one related to everything that you've been talking about was um, turning off Facebook for a while. So mm -hmm. I was working, I was um, involved in a group and we were reading a book and they talked about fasting and I wasn't sure what I wanted to fast. And I was going through a job search at the time and so I was supposed to be working on my job search but I found myself on Facebook and <laughs> there was my answer. I needed to fast Facebook. So I did for 21 days and I was instantly happier. So I think... Well, I, I think you're going to really appreciate uh, what Cal Newport has to say about this. Uh, he's been a very vocal proponent of quitting Facebook, and yeah. uh, some of what he wrote yesterday was, was pretty mind-blowing, so I'm, I'm excited to have him on. All right, that is a wrap. But before you go, hey, I wanted to say thank you so much, and I do note that many of you have asked how you can help me out there in the world, and I have a great answer for that, and it is sharing this show. Um, my goal is I create this content with a, with a talented, hardworking crew over here at Creative Live. And our goal is to get this information out there into the world, help the, the greatest creators and, and entrepreneurs of our time get their ideas spread far and wide. So you sharing your takeaways or just links to the show, any of the podcast platforms or whatever, means the world to me. Thing two, how you can help if you care is to leave a review at your preferred podcast platform. That also helps surface uh, this show, the guests, uh, in in search results on each of the platforms, and it means a lot. So, thank you so much. Really, really grateful, and I'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Hopefully, soon, maybe next, maybe right after this. Maybe you're gonna listen. Anyway, whenever you get around to it, I'm here. Thank you. <laughs>